Welcome back, everyone, to Track and Field Black History. My name is Anderson, and we have the pleasure of speaking with one of the greatest coaches, one of the greatest athletes, um, one of the most knowledgeable knowledgeable people in the history of the sport. Um, and whether you're an athlete, a fan, or you're involved in the sport in some capacity, there's almost no way that you haven't been directly or indirectly impacted by, you know, today's guest. So a quick background, he is, of course, the 1971 Pan American Games gold medalist in both the 400 and 4x4, still to this day, current world record holder in the 440-yard dash, um, almost very closely, you know, the Olympic gold medalist from 1972. We'll, we'll come back to that a little bit, maybe. Um, and of course, a longtime coach of the absolute who's who of, you know, in the sport of track and field. You know, there's there's too many accolades and too many things that uh, this guest has done today. We are speaking with John Smith. Thank you so much for joining us today, John. It's my pleasure. Absolutely. Um, so, of course, like I said, you know, you've been so instrumental in terms of coaching, you know, over the past couple of decades. And then even before that, both uh, also as an athlete. But I want to you know, start off going a little bit farther back into your history and your introduction and growing up. Um, so curious what it was like for you growing up in Los Angeles in the 50s and the 60s, and what was it that got you into track and field initially? Um, I could always uh, run. Um, I was, um, I actually, my first encounter with um with uh, any particular sport was baseball. I'm left-handed. Mm -hmm. So I grew up when the, when the Dodgers moved out here, you know, John, um, uh, Sandy Koufax, uh, anybody who's left-handed, I followed them. Um, I, um, I also swam. Um, my, my swim uh, uh, instructor was Roger Mosley. Okay. I don't know if you know of Roger Mosley. Uh, he, uh, he, he was an actor, um, but he, he instructed us. Um, at one point, he said, you know, you guys, are, uh, uh, I don't care what you are. Um, you're going to learn to swim because you come in here, number one. And number two, you're going to compete with all those white kids. And we had these cut off Levi's and all this stuff. And we were going to the white neighborhoods and kick butt. And it gave us a sense of pride. So I, I, I I never understood the, the thing that black people can't swim because my dad was in the Navy and he, he took us, he made sure that we knew how to swim. He said, I'm not gonna worry about somebody drowning. I'm not gonna have that. I, I'm gonna make sure you learn to swim. So we learned to swim. We had to go to church. Uh, and um, uh, you, you, of course you had to, pay, you, you, you had to say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Uh, you didn't talk back to your parents. You develop a, a philosophy. So that took me into competing, but it, it not it wasn't live and die because my dad and my mom had to work. So they didn't come to my practice. So when I would go to a, a practice or something, it was just me. And I wanted to do it. My father and my mother, they, the, the things that they wanted to do was go to school, go to church and be respectful. So when, when I decided that what I really wanted to do, it was a burning desire inside of myself. My dad was looking at the 1960 Olympics and I was watching Wilma Rudolph 
uh, win all those gold medals and uh, and so forth. And and he he was telling me he said, "See, that's the Tiger Bells," and you know, and he would always say because. I think at one point in 64 or so, Edie McGuire started beating on Wilma. And then, um, and then Wyoming Ty started beating Edie. Uh, and so it was this ongoing. So I followed then the Tiger Bells more than I followed anybody else. Then there was Bob Hayes, yeah. uh, Speedo, uh, who I had the pleasure of being around when I played with the Cowboys. Uh, that was actually uh, in his presence a phenomenal athlete. Um, and um, I was always inspired, um, uh, wanting to be one of the great ones. Um, I would, uh, you know, I would dream about being the great ones. In addition, my first uh, real coach in track and field was Charlie Dumas. Charlie Dumas was one of the, he was a gold medalist in, uh, <clears throat> in 1960. And um, no, no, 60 or 56. Um, it might have been, or either one. But he um, instilled in us um, pride on becoming an Olympian. At that time, there was no money in there. So when you when you really wanted to run, you had to run because you, that was inside you. And um, we were, I was in like the eighth grade and we were all looking at him and said, man, you ain't, you got no medal. He said, he brought it to school. I looked, took one look at that medal, I was hooked. That in, That lit me right up. And I, um, I chased that dream, even today. Um, I've been blessed. And one of the things that I've always been able to do is um, uh, make some lemonade out of lemons. Um, I had, a, um, you know, when we get to it, my, one of my greatest pitfalls, or one of my, not pitfalls, it was a setback, but it was a great learning lesson. Um, that I uh, is the reason why I, I coach now, and I still have that burning desire. And with the exception of bad knees and a couple of backs and all the other stuff, I still have that fire um, that I keep I keep down because I don't want to get too I don't want to get too over the board because when I'm coaching, you, you have to take. There's another element of coaching. When you when you you've done what you've done, and I pride myself on working through my my, my mental issues, my challenges, and so forth. But you can't bring that to the table. You have to be very careful with that uh, because you have to take them where they are, and then help them and then assist them on building. So that means you got to get out of the way. You, you get, your ego's in the way. You got to get out of that. Because I always remember, um, and I tell a lot of uh, my uh, uh, my former competitors, is that remember this. Remember how you were when you were their age. And they have more stresses than we have. I mean, let's put it this way. They don't, they don't have more. They have different stresses. Because we had, we had war. You were going to go to war. 
you were, if you were able-bodied, black, you were going to go to war and you're going to be on the front line. So you had to be good in something to keep yourself alive on and off the track or the playing field or the battlefield. Well, we didn't want to go to the battlefield. Um, and so those are some of the things that motivated me and, um, and kept me straight because the things that I say, uh, track and field basically saved my life um, through the, uh, the, the 60s, the 70s, uh, the 80s. And whenever I had troubles in my life, I always went back to the, uh, the track, kept myself fit because we had destruction. We had, you know, drugs were running rampant. They run now, but they were running rampant. Then. They've always had been. shootings. They have always. Now, as, um, as they say now, the revolution is being televised. Mm -hmm. Now they're, they're showing things that we did. Uh, we had to combat, but we had no recourse. Now the, you actually, oh, wow, that really happened. Oh, really? So do you think that person had a hole in his head uh, just on accident? So it's, uh, um, it's sad, but it's always been there. And now the awareness is coming. And I, 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 it's, I, now I know it's a better time because now people have to be uh, accountable. And we still got to brush up on a few things. You know, there, um, if, you know, if you're not part of the, the, the certain uh, uh, what, uh, a social structure, you don't, you don't, you don't know the right people. Um, your finances are not in, in order to be able to combat and withstand. Um, that's still there. And, 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 and it, it appears to be like it's always going to be there. Can you dive a little bit more into that? Like a lot of things you're speaking about, uh, but thinking of the time where, you know, in the 50s, 60s, and into the 70s, right? That's a huge time for civil rights. Um, but then even after civil rights, right, in the 60s and 70s, you have the Black Panther Party, you have, you know, the Black Power Movement. Um, you know, there's a lot of parallels with, you know, what we have uh, been seeing today. But can you talk about that time and your involvement? I know, especially in 68 Olympics and of course the 72 Olympics that you competed with um, at, that was pretty prominent during that time. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Um, in the 60s, you saw uh, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, both got assassinated. Yeah. And, and, and also um, we, we had uh, Muhammad Ali, yeah. which was another uh, uh, very figure for a lot of us. In 68, I was 18. In 66, um, I was 16, of course. Kennedy got killed. I was 13. And um, I remember when he got killed, assassinated. My eighth grade teacher came in and said, President has been assassinated. She clucked the light out. We all put our heads down. And I remember that very somber. Uh, it was wow. That was really getting close. And then when Malcolm X got killed, that was another thing that, that was close to us. And then um, um, Martin Luther King got killed. That was another close encounter. And then in 68 with Tommy 
uh, and uh, John Carlos, who who I modeled myself after them as far as what they stood for. We didn't run for money. We ran for uh, there was another purpose uh, to run. A lot of people say, well, these athletes did they? No, 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 no. We had something we must do. And these kids are, recip uh, are recipients, but I was a recipient of Tommy and John. And, you know, my name is John Smith and I got Tommy and John Carlos. Sometimes I got the raft of what they were doing and pe people, we, we all, at that time, we all look alike. And so, you know, it, you, but what it did, it made, uh, made me strong. It also made you um, have a different purpose because education was imminent. You must educate yourself. You, I pride myself of going to, uh, going to class. Um, I like had eight o'clock class and I sat in the front row. And, and one of the things that we had, we had a, um, building on, on campus at UCLA, Ralph Bunch, you know, represented us at, at a higher level. Um, uh, Angela Davis, she was a professor there at uh, UCLA. Um, we, uh, Tom, Brad, uh, Tom uh, Brad, uh, Bradley, Mayor Bradley, went to UCLA. We, uh, Fred Slaughter, the first black dean of admissions, at UCLA, I also was an athlete. So was Tom. You know, Tom was a record holder for the uh, 400. You know, he becomes the mayor. Um, uh, Fred Slaughter, may he rest in peace, both of them, um, will influence me. So it, we, we, there was certain blacks that you gathered around that inspired you. Then we had Motown here, and then we had the other ones. And then there was, you know, during the war, we, we, the, the, our music reflected the time, just like the, the, the rap, the music today reflects the time. And I, um, I embraced all of it. I was a musician when I was a kid, played trombone. So I grew up with a, um, a classical musical understanding of what was going on. And there's some historical things in that that goes all back to Josephine Baker, it goes back to all way back to uh, the times, and uh, you you began to see that music reflected uh, our what we were going through, and that was the whole point of the church was where black people had gathered and had an opportunity to keep a particular culture going along that saved our lives, so that we could go out and branch out where we are. That is powerful. And yeah, I, th I think a lot of the things that you're saying from the times from the 60s um, and all those times, we're seeing so many of those things, um, you know, parallel today, like you're noting with, you know, with the music, with education, with the church, with like all these different aspects, a lot of it is being mirrored today. Um, but to kind of touch upon that use uh, your time at UCLA, um, when you got to UCLA, you and Wayne Collette were like kind of a, a dynamic duo during the late 60s. Um, and what was that like with both of you, not only kind of going back and forth, you won NCAA championships, but then you came in 1972 and you both made your Olympic team. And, you know, you were talking about seeing 1960, 1964, and like that Olympic was Olympic making the team was a goal. What was that like when you finally made that team in 1972 with Wayne Collette? 
you know, it's funny. Um, you know, Colette and I grew up in, uh, in you know, in Southern League in Los Angeles. And uh, Colette at 13 was running um, with the guys who were already in college. Wow. And uh, he was, uh, I think, I remember, and, and uh, he was, he's, he's a year older than I. Mm -hmm. And he ran somewhere, and we were running on dirt tracks. He beat somebody. I think it was Jim Kemp. Uh, he ran like 46-8, uh, like when he was in the, the, um, in the 11th grade. But he did it on these, 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 these tracks. And um, I was still, uh, I was a year behind him. But he was well-developed at that time. I was um, very slight and built. Uh, nowhere like him and a couple of other guys that that were, that were, that were uh, prominent. However, um, I think when I came up, I didn't drive to school. I had to walk like two and a half miles, three miles to school. And then when I got to school, I worked. Uh, sometimes I, I got up, got to school, took a shower, and, uh, and then went and ate, and then went to the class and then went uh, uh, worked out and then got home. And then I had to do my chores. And so a lot of times I was so tired, I didn't even get a chance to study. So, and then on the weekends I worked. So I started developing other habits outside to combat the fact that a lot of kids who, and see, I had mom and dad at home too. Mm -hmm. So that, that there was, a, there were certain rules that you could do. And, um, and to go back into the 60s, I remember we, we took, the family took a trip to uh, San Diego Zoo. And we were, um, um, we stayed there all day. It was like, uh, it was early August. And my birthday is around that time. So I'm trying to think, it, my memory serves well. I think it was around August 10th or something. Mm -hmm. And um, we were coming back, and we, you know, we were leaving and we saw the um, saw the army and, and the reserves coming in, and my dad, um, being him in the navy because he was in, he was in the navy, uh, he said, "Ah, oh, there's something going on." When we came back later on that night from San Diego, we saw the city was lit up. It was lit up. I'm like, "Oh my God!" And my father was driving, and on TV they showed everybody. Um, looting and so forth. And my dad stopped the car. He said, I'll tell you one thing. If I catch any of you, you don't have to worry about the cops. I'm going to make sure that I'm going to get you. And so there was a curfew. And they were talking about my father had another curfew. You know, the, poli the, pol uh, the police were riding. They were riding six deep. You know, every one of them had a shotgun and I would go to class, I'd go to school and I would come back home. And from uh, 65 through 68, it was a lot of turmoil. Um, I, I think um, people uh, started expressing themselves. Um, they, uh, they armed themselves and it was um, uh, the community against the police. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, the, it has always been that way. Mm -hmm. 
it's been that way because I forget who was the police chief, but he went down to the South and got all the Southern guys, um, all the rednecks and stuff to come in and be on the police department. So when you, um, uh, when you got stopped, they, they, I forget what it was. It was a song called Up Against the Wall, Motherfucker. And that, that was the tone when you got stopped by, you know, and you, you had to be smooth. You know, I um, been coming from a military father, he told me, you can't look like the ones that are, are, are in, in jail. You can't talk like the ones in jail. The object of this is to survive. When you survive and get your education, you can go fight the system. But if you go up against them, they got guns. You don't have a gun. And if you pull a gun, you're dead. So you, there's a certain way you had to walk around and, 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 and act. But at the same time, you wanted to be, you didn't want the people, because most of my friends were the ones who were, you know, they, they, they were the Rough Riders. But you wanted to let them know, you, you step on my biscuit toe shoes, we're going to fight. And, uh, and then they respected that. And so it was, there was a fine line that, that, that I had to walk because I was in the middle, right in the middle of the hood. Yeah. And then a lot of other people were, were, were outside, but I saw people getting shot. I, 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 I've seen people getting beat and <clears throat> I made sure that I wasn't one of them. Mm -hmm. And that's why <clears throat> someone asked me, had I ever gotten beat up and thug? I said, no. They said, why not? I said, I never stood around to finish the fight. I said, I could run. There was a reason why I could run. You know, I'll get my licks in there, I'm gone. <laughs> it was, um, I'm not sure about in the 50s and 60s, but because I know now UCLA is, you know, relative in terms of like LA, right? It's a nicer neighborhood of LA. It's Westwood. Westwood, right? right. Um, did you have to like, I don't know, what was that transition like of coming from where you grew up to now going to UCLA? that's in a nicer part of the neighborhood of the city? Um, it, was a, it was a culture shock. <clears throat> um, the, it was funny because I always say, man, go up here, man, the streets are all clean. You know, ain't nobody out. Wow. Um, but what I found out, there was no soul. See, in the hood, you had a soul. You could walk down the street at that time and if you had a rhythm that you walked down, they say, okay, he, he, he belongs here, mm -hmm. you know? Um, there was a rule, you didn't mess with too many females or older people. You know, you, you, that was, that was no, no. This stuff that they're doing now is that they're, they're crazy. Um, we didn't, we didn't do that. Yeah. Uh, matter of fact, that's part of the Panthers. The Panthers started by, um, you know, uh, feeding uh, the neighborhood yeah and they took up arms to protect the the the, the kid the, the the ones who couldn't protect themselves exactly. from the police and uh, that was a kind of a mentality you only I mean you had, you had drug runners you had this and that but see most of them were educated all the ones that I knew because what they used to say hey man if you're an athlete you got to pass and and they wouldn't let they say go home you, you can get out of here you can do things. Whereas now it's, it's kind of, it's, it's a different, it's a different culture now. Yeah. Um, so. And um, 
but going from, I remember going up there, I was not, most of us were not academically ready to go there. So I, I understand seeking out help, but as I did, I realized I, would, I was raised pretty good because I was raised with common sense. When they asked me what I wanted to do, I said, well, I'm gonna get my education. I wanna break the world record in the 400, 440. You know, what are you gonna do? Well, I'm a, I gotta get these A's and stuff so I can uh, take over my uh, father's, uh, or my parents' uh, uh, company. Or uh, if I don't, they're gonna take me off, uh, uh, off, off, the, uh, off the list. I, I won't be able to get this and so forth. So a lot of them were, were doing things, but they weren't happy. And I saw suicides yeah. uh, because they got a C and they should have got an A. I got a C, I was celebrating. And, but I was looking at them and I'm like, over a grade? Are you kidding me? I because I've seen people get killed for less. And you're riding, you got clean clothes, several, you, you, you got a BMW that you're riding up in here. If not, your, your parents are bringing you in or the company is bringing you um, to, uh, to school in a limousine. And that, that, that fascinated me to see that kind of wealth, but it had no soul. You know, it had really no soul. So where I was and what I had instilled in me um, because of the discipline and the philosophy that, that, that I developed. And even when I decided I was gonna go ahead and stick my foot in their world, I still had the discipline and the philosophy like, no, 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 you know that ain't right. You know, you, you had something pss, 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 that, that ain't right, you know, and it would, it would, it would save my life. And the one thing that saved my life was track and field. How do you, or how do you take some of those things that you learned when you were growing up, when you were at UCLA, um, and apply it to both your running career and then even now in your coaching uh, coaching career? Um, everything, um, patience, number one. Mm -hmm. That's the one thing that uh, you um, uh, that you get um, patience, and it's because. When you walk a lot and you don't, you don't, you don't drive, and you have a lot of time to think. Um, riding the bus, um, you have a lot of time to think. You can see things passing. Um, you can see people. You you are with the the people of the earth. Yeah. You're not in. The, you're not looking at the buildings. You're not in somebody's office. Um, you are actually the people who basically day to day have humble beginnings, but they have a smile on their face. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and they, they're working towards something. I, I, I remember um, um, I was, fall, I, I had some hard times. I had gotten cut <clears throat> from the Cowboys. I had I gotten divorced and I started to go back up to the track. And uh, that was part of my therapy. And I remember on a cool fall evening, <clears throat> it was, it was, it was kind of chilly. So I had a, a ski park on, 
some 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 jeans and I was at the bus stop and I, and I was having a pity party and I looked over to my right and there was this this homeless guy dressed just like me I mean I looked over there I got on the bus never to return to that bus stop again and it was that was a, a, a that was a a paradigm shift for me because what I said, the difference between he and I is that I have a dream and I dare to live it. Yeah. I don't know what he's doing, but I remember seeing him also when I was all through school, he was the same guy. And you know how, when you, when you, you get a little, you get a little snooty when you, when you start getting educated, you start getting invited into certain things and so forth. And here I am sitting on the bus stop with this same dude that you could look at and you kind of thumb your nose at Adam. And I'm like, oh no, 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 not me. And I got on that bus stop and literally to this day, I don't even go by it. Wow. Wow. I I they don't well they don't even have the bus stop anymore, but it's like I go by there and I have memories about what my where my consciousness was. Mm -hmm. And just a reminder that everybody falls on hard times. Some, uh, <clears throat> some people can't handle it. Uh, but at the end of the day, you do always have a choice. And I've made choices to handle the adversity because on the other side of the adversity is, um, is where your dreams are. Very true. And even speaking of adversity, um, kind of jumping to the 72 Olympics, right, where you're the absolute favorite for gold going in. Um, and even despite like you got injured right before the Olympics, but you not only managed to go to the Olympics, you made it all the way to the final. Um, but thinking of that adversity, so you, you know, unfortunately pull up, you know, about 100 meters into the final. Um, but then after both Vincent Matthews and Wayne Collette, they win gold and silver, but then they're banned from the games, um, you know, for their protests on the podium. But one thing I think of is I, I've seen an interview with you where, you know, reporters are trying to ask you like, you know, about your injury and about, you know, uh, Matthews and Collette. And you're just like, you know, I don't, I don't have time to talk about it right now. Right. You're like dealing with different things. Um, curious in that scope of you're in a moment how are you able to deal with all the adversity, deal with all those setbacks, but then eventually, you know, whether it's a week later, a month later, a year later, come back and, you know, look back and, you know, move forward from all that, all those setbacks? Um, <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> before the, um, before the games, we, we were, we were planning on, I mean, not before, but just before the race, we were planning on going one, two, three, but I got hurt. Yeah. So that kind of destroyed um, some of the plans that we had because we were pissed off. <clears throat> we we wanted to protest up there, mm -hmm. but what happened is that I uh, I got hurt, and so um, when I was in the blocks, just before I got in the blocks, I told Colette, "Go get it, it's yours." Well, he thought I was running a mind game on it because I I take I, I had my legs leg taped up mm -hmm. all through the rounds. I took it off. I said, yeah, it either is going to go or it's not, you know. And uh, my mind was all screwed up. Um, and I, um, you know, I, it, it took me, it took me, I, I, I said, all my life I got to this point. And 
it, it didn't work out. And, <clears throat> and I told Wayne before, I said, go, it's yours. And I was in the lane in front of him and the gun went off and about 80 meters, I, I just, I couldn't do it. Yeah. I was emotionally, that was emotionally done. And in addition to that, I was, um, um, <clears throat> I was just disappointed in myself because I screwed that up. I don't blame anybody else. We say, oh, the coach, you should have. I said, no, 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 that's on me. And that's the first thing of, of your healing from mm -hmm. adversity. The second thing is after they finish, they came over to me and I was sobbing. I mean, that's why you see I had my head down and then I, <clears throat> I went over there in the, in, in the corner and Wayne and them, that, now that made Wayne even matter. Um, and he, um, he, he, he tried to console me and um, I was just, I had lost it. And I remember um, this German um, uh, hurdler named Heile Schuler, yeah. uh, who became Dr. Schuler. Um, she, she, she consoled me. And then I was just down there crying. They were trying to get me to go. Uh, I said, nah, I was just done. And um, the Star Spangled Banner came and I stood up on this bench and I watched him and I watched him protest. And I'm like, uh, wow. So that did not work. And um, after the after they, the games, I mean, after they ran, I walked all around the village. I must have walked about five miles uh, that evening. And I got back to, to the dorm. Uh, we were all sweet mates. Mm -hmm. And uh, I walked in. And their mother and father, their parents were there. And they were, um, uh, I just, you know, you walk in a room and you think it's, it's supposed to be joyous. I mean, these two dudes have just got gold and silver. And all I could hear, I just went to that metal first and I looked at it and I'm like, wow, wow, okay. But they weren't happy. And all of a sudden I tuned into the rhythm of the, of the, of the, of the room and they were all arguing with each other. Do you know what you just did? Do you know what you just thrown away? And I was saying, Wang was like, I don't care about that. And, and Vincent was like, hey, uh, Vincent was an artist. So he was a free thinker. Colette was an intellectual. You know, he felt that he could just go through anything, but he, he got tired because he got bamboozled. Wayne was under the impression that because he went to school and so he was going to be accepted by everybody. And at the end of the day, Don King's words came back, Mammy, you know, you're just a nigga at the end of the day. And, um, and that, that hurt him. And he actually became more radical than I was because he had been, no, John, you can't do all through our school. You can't do this. You can't say this. You can't do this. And at the end, I had tepid my, my anger, but his just overflowed. Mm. And uh, I looked at him like, wow, dude, <laughs> you, uh, you just made a transformation. But that being said, I realized that, you know what? All's not, not lost because they did what all of us always wanted to do. But now 
how are they going to handle this and make this dream bigger or whatever you wanted to do? So I was going with a clean slate. I grew up with very little except love for my family. So I still had that, but it was never material. It, material things were not the things that I ran for. I ran for the spirit, the 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 accomplishments of what I was doing and, and, and the ex what examples I was setting uh, for, um, uh, for 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 people and um you know in the in the hood you were respected and, and so um you know I it took me a while to to um get over that because after that um I started abandoning um track and field uh, my heart was broken I mean it broke I wouldn't play football and then uh, I got I got drafted to 13th round for Dallas, and in '73 and went to Dallas, and that was actually a good experience, because I was around some of the greatest coaches. Tom Landry, I learned some of the things that I do now is because how you set up a practice, how you work it, how you handle people, how you reinforce someone, how you take where they are and kind of build on it. That's what I got from Tom. Now, mind you. We're back in 73, back in the South, the Bible Belt, where you still looked at, you know, if you, you got caught talking to somebody uh, uh, that was uh, another race of people, you had some issues to deal with. And, and people think, you know, you think that you tough in the hood. Well, they got some cowboys <laughs> that are 6'5", that will knock a bull out with their bare hand. <laughs> they, they tough, you know, and, and, and but, um, um, I, I had that experience, and also I realized that I, I didn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't. Um, football wasn't my thing. It was, it was great. I didn't quit. I got cut, but I didn't quit. Nice. So even so, moving like a little bit forward from that, but kind of in that time period where you know you you're at the Olympics and then you're kind of transitioning away from track and field. Um, of course, you eventually go to into coaching, but did you receive any support in terms of like financial literacy or learning how to you know invest in you know a home or to you know being an adult in those different aspects? Like, did you receive some type of support like that? <laughs> you know, it's funny. When you're coming up, I always ask myself at one point, why are all these snakes and these slick ass people always around me? Why is that? And the reason why I, had, I wasn't educated enough to, uh, everybody's not your friend. You know, everybody has a song and dance, they ain't cool. And when, you, when you're trying to not be angry, you go overboard letting too many people in your space. Um, so I fell in the same thing most uh, athletes who aren't in, 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 in engaged uh, in, in the process. Uh, they don't know you get uh, the same kind of misinformation or disinformation. Um, I wasn't the kind of kid that went out and, and, and started fights and got into parties and, and so forth. So I kind of like understood but I wasn't 
I had I needed to educate myself a little more. Um, so, um, and even as I educated myself in that, you know, investing your money, I still lost because I wasn't educated enough. And being um, not a football player or basketball player, I, I, I there weren't people around uh, that knew how to make money running track and field. So that was another way I had to explore myself. So as I played football, um, I got a good education on uh, people. Um, and then I went to, um, I worked for uh, Pitney Bowles. And that was another um, experience that I had. The difference is that I'm selling the product, I'm getting 15% and they're taking 85%. I said, how can I switch that? So um, what happens, I went into the movie industry. And one of the reasons why I went in the movie industry, um, I was kind of shit shy. I, I was afraid to get up in front of people, talk. Um, you know, th there's a difference between reading a book, but reading something and getting it off the page and make it come to life. And I always liked that because I was a, a musician, um, but uh, getting up on the stage and it's just you and somebody else, um, a solo act, that's a little different. And, and so I went to start going, uh, going to classes and uh, I started developing my, my skills, my oratorial skills. Um, I had, um, at a certain way, you know, uh, I had a teacher to tell me, her name was Peggy Fury, and I was studying at the loft, and she said, she stopped me one day, she pulled me, she said, come here, sit down next to me. And I'm like, okay. And she said, uh, and she kind of embarrassed me, she said, class, John does not like his voice. And I'm like, wow. And then she said, and then she's in front of a classes, I mean, Lillian Tomlin is in there. Michelle Pfeiffer is in there. Brad Pitt, and not Brad Pitt, uh, um, a couple of the other, the, 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 they all live in Malibu. Um, they all were there. And she said, let me tell you something. I'm going to tell you in front of all you white folks. She says, there's nothing so eloquent as a black man speaking well. And I'm like, oh, shit. I dropped my voice and started speaking and it ain't left since. <laughs> and when I made a mistake, you know, like certain words, like it was, I was saying raunchy. I was saying ranchy. She said, what? She said, oh, class, he's having problems with this word. She made me say that word until I got it. And then as, as I got it, she said, go on with, the, go on with your play. And so I went on in it. And she said, never be afraid of a word because the word is the next thing to your freedom. Mm. So your smallest focus is your greatest freedom. Mm. The little things are the things that emancipate you, not the big things. I said, you're a big hunk of a man. You got all the other stuff. It's the little things that's, that's going to make you. That's so th that's some of the the evolution I went through. Now, mind you, I'm broke as a church, church mouse. Mm. And um, I, uh, but that's one of the reasons why I went into to, to the theater 
because it actually gave me freedom. I was, I was in an acting class, you can fall on your face, but that's why you go to class. You go to class to look at other people do their things. I thought that great actors, they all read, they pick up the paper and they do this. And I remember being in a, uh, matter of fact, it was uh, John Carlos. It was their first movie that they were gonna do way back in, um, in, uh, in, uh, in the early eighties. And I, I met, that's why I met Denzel. And there was a, a guy who was, and Denzel was gonna play Tommy. And I was supposed to shadow and do a Carlos. But there was an actor in there and he was reading word for word, slow, methodical. And then they said, okay, he took his glasses off. And next thing you know, it was like, he started reading the words were jumping off the page and I said, oh my God, okay, I see this. Because it's a process. Because when you, when you're coming up and you can't, I was always in classes because I was good in math. So I would get into classes, but then, you know, you have certain people that weren't good in math, but they were good in, uh, in literature and so forth. And they, they get up there and they just do it all. Well, I got laughed at. And when I got laughed at, I, I, I went into my shell. And even today I, I, I have to overcome it. But the one thing I, I, I've learned, as long as you understand yourself, they will be laughing with you and not at you. And as long as you true to yourself, you make a mistake, correct it, go on. Sometimes the greatest, a stumbling of a word becomes a pattern. Now it's rap, you know, or when I was coming, it was reggae, yeah. you know, and, but those words are not uh, prums and papa. It is another language that has been developed. And, and I stopped being so um, sensitive toward things that I didn't think, but I didn't realize people were, were like, oh no, he, he, you have a nice resin to what you do. And I'm like, okay. And I, and I still remind myself of that, but I think that's probably something that keeps me grounded so I don't get uh, arrogant and fall back in that same pit that I had to crawl out of to get where I am now. That's very powerful. That, that's amazing. I, I love hearing those different stories of your, you know, your time in the movie industry a little bit. Um, those are powerful things. And I love what you said about, you know, those, the little things being so important as opposed to some of the larger things that we may just see, you know, on the surface. Um, so before diving into your coaching career, I do want to just talk about, so I kind of talk about the 400 a little bit. I kind of see the 400 in a couple different golden ages. And I look at the time that you competed, you know, of course, right before with Lee Evans, Larry James, Ron Freeman, um, but then yourself and Vincent Matthews and Wayne Collette. I feel like that late 60s, early 70s was like kind of first big golden age of 400 meter running. Um, and of course, you ran with Collette um, at UCLA. But what was it like? with and kind of the camaraderie amongst the other athletes you know Lee Evans I know he was he was at 72 as well and Vincent Matthews what was the camaraderie like for the most part in the 400 meters amongst all of you um I, I met Vincent um at the um Sunkiss mm -hmm. indoor meet um and I remember and I was in high school so I would pass out uh, um the awards and stuff. 
So he, he would come and, you know, some could say, you get an orange squeezer or, or, or something. And I asked him, I said, hey, man, uh, how, you, uh, what, what do you, how do you get around the track like that? And then Vincent had something very simple. And he said, have fun. And I'm like, okay, that was real simple. So I met him in, 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 when I was in high school. Colette, I knew from when I was 15, 14, 15 years old. Um, Lee and Tommy and John, I didn't meet until I got uh, in, in, in high school. No, 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 I was in college. But I met them, or I was, let's say I was in their presence at the, um, the, um, the Coliseum Olympic uh, trials, because mm -hmm. they had two. They had one there. And then they had one of the Echo Summit um, yeah. in uh, Lake Tahoe. And I remember walking up, looking at these dudes. These dudes were huge. John was like, he had a sombrero hat on. And he was out there after he finished running. Um, Lee won. Lee was not the tallest, but Lee was thick and long, lanky. And I just stood in their presence and just wanted to soak up some of them vibes. Because I so wanted to be like them. Mm -hmm. And I was, uh, I was like 17. I was 17 years old. 18. 17, yeah. And when I left, I remember leaving their presence. And I was just lit up. You know, uh, a couple of other my friends, James Butts, um, Steve Lang. And we, we all hung together because we wanted to be that next group. Mm -hmm. And... Um, uh, I, we would go to practice because see we would go to track meet and get lit up like that and then we would go out and go practice or uh, run up and down the street it was just charging and that just moved me and as I started um, getting up in my own and I have a couple of stories about never ever shown uh, Sean, a uh, person that wants your autograph, um, because uh, I've uh, and and it, it's well, we'll get to that. I'll, I'll tell you about that later. But that was something that that moved me, and at the same time, they were fighting for something far bigger than all of us. They were fighting for uh, equality of, of life. Um, you know, it, it, you win a gold medal here again. You win a gold medal. Um, and you kicked out of the, um, the out of the country, and you go home, and you got KKK, you got crosses burned on your lawn, your dogs are being killed, and it's short of you losing your life. Um, but they they kept going through it, and just to, a couple of years ago, have they been set apart that they are actually national heroes. They're the ones that a lot of people, you were talking about Black Lives Matter. Well, that was, we went back through that. That, that was always our theme because to, to be black and proud. Um, your hair is kinky. You know, your lips are thick. You ain't like them, but we're all Americans and we're here to stay. Y'all brought us over here, but we're here to stay. We didn't die, we multiplied. Mm -hmm. 
like Bebe's kids, you know, <laughs> and we ain't going nowhere. And I know your language and I know your literature. All, some of, most of it is lies because now we're educated and you can't pull the wool over our head because if we can go get some more information that can counteract what you just said. Mm -hmm. So we were becoming threats to them. Um, they were, in the early 60s, there weren't a lot of people matriculating in Black people matriculating into uh, the white university, so to speak. By the late uh, 60s, there was an onslaught of a bunch of us. Um, Bear Bryant, SC went down there and whipped their behind. He said, we got to get some Black backs to counteract that, you know. And so it was, not only was it was being Equal rights was being fought um, in our land, but it was fought in the classroom and it was fought um, um, on the battlefield. It was also fought on the football field and it was fought in the field of education. Mm -hmm. They say, oh, you can't learn. They had the EOP. Well, I remember some of the people that took EOP, they got their PhD four or five years later. Oh, we can't think. Oh, it won't happen. Oh, really? I'm glad I didn't pay no attention to you. You know, and, and so we, we, we develop ourselves um, through adversity, but we've always done that. And, and we have to still understand that. Do you realize that back when Frederick Douglass was up, it was illegal to learn how to read if you were black? So how did he read? We taught ourselves how to do it. Sneak in a room, going back, learning. Nothing will stop you but you. Yeah. Short of being dead, nothing will stop you but you. Yes. And you got to keep pursuing for the people's lives that were lost and you were spared. Many slaves fell. Many of them. Many fell before they even landed on our shores. And when you start learning them, it's, it's very hard for me really to look at some of the um, the the historical stuff, like Mega Everett. Oh man, I mean, all of these people who 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 got who got killed, and and so forth. It's it's hard for me to look at that because I get angry. Mm. Um, and even to this day, I'm no, I don't, I, I'm I'm not ready to look at it because mm -hmm. I came out of power to the peoples. You know, any means are necessary, and but that's not the way. And um, and still to this day, I have a um, a real um, a real understanding of who I am. And the other thing is, don't tell me what I can't do. If you're not going to assist me, what I want to do and I need to do, then you need to get out of my way because I can't. I don't need you. Too many teachers, too many teachers when I was coming up told me, oh, you'll never be nothing. Oh, you know, reading was, was a challenge for me. Oh, well, you're a dummy. Man, I used to hit that. That right there, that would send me off to, to a whole nother dead end. So that's why I, I went into the movie industry to learn how to express myself um, uh, eloquently, uh, artistically. So it took a lot of my anger and it put it into something. So now I can do something with it. Mm -hmm. And um, 
and like I said, the, the track and field saved my life because I didn't go into doing all those things that, that a lot of the people I grew up with. Because yeah. they talk about guns. I grew up around guns. Mm -hmm. My uncles and them were hunters. I knew how to shoot guns when I was 13. Mm -hmm. But I also knew the etiquette of shooting the guns. Never pull it. If you do, you better use it. Mm -hmm. And a real, a real marksman never discusses about what he got has. It never talks about, oh, I'll shoot you. No, that's a no-no. Because -no. you get beat down doing that. Never talk about it. Never talk about how you're going to take somebody out. Mm -mm. And if there's a confrontation, I remember a guy is at, um, is at the Gompers uh, Junior High School and we're playing chess. And the guy got beat and dude said, I'm going to go home and get my gun. I'm going to shoot you. And we were all kind of laughing. You know, he went home and shot him. Went home and got the gun and shot him. Wow. That reminded me. I said, okay, somebody threatened me. Don't hang around. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to get my big brothers and whip you. No, you ain't going to get your brother with me because first of all, I ain't going to be here. <laughs> <laughs> and secondly, you ain't catching me. <laughs> Man. These are so these are so powerful. There's so many things I want to talk about with track, but just one thing that today kind of angers me and gets me annoyed is thinking specifically of Tommy Smith and John Carlos, right? What they did and what they were banned for, even you know Matthews and Colette. But now they're celebrated, right? Like they they're looked at as absolute heroes, despite you know, the IOC or whatever, they, they kicked them out. And that, I, that contradiction and that, you know, backpedaling really does get me going. Cause it's like, you're looking at us, you're, you're setting us back. They were trying to, like you said, fight for what was right during the times, fight for, you know, black people's rights, fight for our livelihood, but you shut them down. Now you're looking at, at them as heroes, but we're still seeing some of those things happen to black people today. Um, so I definitely resonate with what, a lot of what you said. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's all through history. Um, you know, um, people, your heroes a lot of times uh, are really recognized after they, they're long gone. Um, they, if you live, I always say, be careful what you ask for because you got to accept the other responsibility to come with you. Um, and people ask me, so how come you haven't written a book? I said, because I ain't through writing it. You know, and I, I don't want to put something out just to be putting it out. Yeah. It, it has to be meaningful. Because um, I'm spending my life doing this. And I don't want to put out a pamphlet of something. You say, oh, you do? No, no, no. That's not how I do. Mm. Um, my thing is, is leaving the, my father always said, the world owes you nothing. You owe the world a good living. And so when you leave out of here, make sure it's in a better place than when you got here. And that's my whole thing with track and field. I didn't get a chance to express it because I, I, I wasn't really developed enough to handle what was thrown at me in, in, in Munich. So I spent about 12 years never going to a, a track meet until 1988. And 1988, I happened to be a recipient 
of two great, actually three, four. It was Mike Marsh, uh, Steve Lewis, Danny Everett, and Kevin Young. And that was really the kind of the start of, um, of, of, of the path that I'm on right now. And I, I remember I said, oh my God, I can, I didn't get a medal, but I can teach people how to do this. And so that's where I am now. And it, um, it, I will never win a gold medal, but I can teach people how to acquire those, become good human beings, I'm not trying to be perfect because I'm still developing as well. So don't hold me for what I did in the past, just enjoy where I am in my present. <laughs> and, and that's what I tell all of them. You, and a lot of them, we didn't end on uh, good terms uh, because the, the relationship, when you are pushing yourself to be the best you can be, there's a lot of energy that clashes. And that, that energy of between uh, 20 and 32 years old is powerful. And you don't really realize who you really are until you come out of that and you look and say, damn, was I doing that? Was I like that? Mm -hmm. But see, then you have the rest of your life to benefit from those experiences. And so I, I listen to a lot of them now and we are, they're in the different perspectives of the world they're, they're, they're different professions and so forth. And, uh, and we, we have our conversations or we meet each other in, in, a, in, their, in, in, in our presence. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, it's, it's delightful to know that, okay, we created something for good. We, 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 we we people have good memories about them where they can carry themselves along and be inspired about what we did as a as a as, as a, a teacher student. And what I mean by that, uh, a lot of times I was the student; they were teaching me how to teach them. Wow! So that keeps me, and I'm and, and even to this day, um, there's a language that you have to learn, um, especially with people in their 70s, um, they have to be careful and not talk about what went on in the past or how these kids are not handling themselves, excuse me, these young people and young adults, because they're doing the best that they can do just like we did the best we could do. So get off their case and be inspiration to them. And if you find yourself uh, uh, criticizing them, forgive yourself too. And then be an example, a positive beacon that they can see, am I gonna be like that when I'm 70 some years old? And you become something that they look forward to as opposed to, man, I ain't gonna live to be like that. That's, 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 that's booty. And then I'm, but the thing that most, the wise people who I've known all my years, they don't say anything they wait for you to ask questions. And if you don't ask the question, they're not gonna tell you. They're not gonna let you harm yourself. They'll pick, give you a helping hand, pick you up, and you all right? You know, you got it. Can I help you with something? No, no, I'm cool, all right. Well, God bless you. And you move on and you all of a sudden like, 
because older people did that to me. And it's so um, warm when you need the, um, a helping hand and someone picks you up figuratively or literally, don't criticize you and move on. And you look at them like, hold up, hold up, man, hold up. Can I talk to you? Oh, sure, sure. And we as elders, um, we have to take the time to talk to the uh, younger people, mm. not preach to them, but talk with them. True. Because what they they got internet, they got Zoom, man. See the screen? This screen's bigger than my TV I had when I was a kid. <laughs> we didn't have telephone, the dial tone, or this. Put it up to your ear. You go in a dime to make a phone call. Man, I got this. <laughs> I had I had to run for my classes. Man, all I do is Google now. It's funny, I have an app in here called Word Genius. Mm. And I'm learning new words every day. I'm happy as a log in the tree. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. That, that's amazing. <laughs> it's huge transitions. And even um, thinking of that, thinking of the progression of technology and all the things you've seen in you know, the 70 years you've been, you know, not only on this earth, but then even in your coaching career, there's so much that happened with like technology of, of shoes, right? Of tracks, right. of, right. you know, even nutrition and exercise. How have you been able to adjust, you know, with all those improvements and changes as a coach to then, you know, apply it to your athletes? Uh, it's funny, I always tell them a good book is good when it's open. And when you read the table of contents before you read the ending. So, and you have to have a soul and nurture that soul so that the technology becomes a, a, a tool and, and not a crutch, like we were starting before we, we started um, taping or recording, rather. You, you don't lose yourself in, in technology. You, you, um, you assist yourself in, in technology. You, I've learned to utilize the tools. I don't mind not knowing. And what button do I push? Okay. I'll go over to my daughter or somebody who is technologically sound and say, can you help me with this? I'm not, I don't have, I have no shame in my game because I got a lot of pep in my step and I have a goal to live to until I'm a hundred. So if I'm walking around here stupid and don't know how to use the stuff that can get me there, hey, shame on me. And you have to have a, you have to have a healthy, like, I coached and was successful without all the technology. With it now, you have to be careful because now you will start losing your, your creativity and your sense and your soul and your whereabouts and who you are as a teacher because you, you will start now allowing technology instead of helping you reinforce your teaching, you're allowing it to teach without a spirit or a touch the human beings. Now, we have a lot of bad uh, examples, or do we? We've always had those examples. It's just now the revolution is being televised. Mm. Mm. It, it always has been. 
you know, there's always been strife in the family. There's always been this, but a family that stays together are the ones that have a lot of love on there, a lot of tolerance, a lot of acceptance. You know, everybody's trying to worry about their sexuality and all this and what's wrong. And this is a bad sin. And I was like, hey, if you lie, you cheat, you have adultery, you do all that stuff, your sin is just as bad as any other sin that you're trying to say. It's a social thing that they're trying to get upheaval. Stop it. Let people be who they are. It'll work out in the end. It ain't you. We didn't create this. However you want it, you, you, your, your belief system. The creator, the belief system. You ain't got nothing to say about that <clears throat> unless you're trying to get a, make a political statement or, or, or a depressed people or whatever. Yeah. Other than that, love everybody. You know, I, I have no ill toward anybody unless you step on my biscuit toast shoes. <laughs> now we got a problem. <laughs> we got a problem. Nice. Um, and then jumping back to the 400, and you kind of brought them up with like, you know, C. Lewis, Danny Everett. Um, that time period is kind of where I see the second kind of golden age of the 400 meters with you know, even a little bit before them, yeah, like Antonio McKay and Alonzo Babers, and then, you know, Steve Lewis, Danny Everett, Butch Reynolds, um, Quincy Watts, and then even, you know, a little bit after them, or during that time was Michael Johnson, right? Um, how did you view the landscape of the 400 meters with those guys during that time where it's like, everyone's now just clicking off for 43 seconds. If you're not running 43 low, you know, you're not in the game anymore. Well, how do you kind of view the landscape of the 400 that time? Well, I want to say one thing. It's about time they started running faster than we did back then. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I, I, when I first started uh, coaching, and my, um, I had the, the 400 hurdles and the 400. And I asked the question, why aren't they running sub 44? So I started <clears throat> um, looking at, okay, what's, what's the training modality? What's the understanding? So I started putting together workouts and understanding of how people run. You have to have, they run the 400. First of all, 400 is one of, it's, it's beautiful. You know, you, you, it's almost, it's, it's a dance. It's, it's, it's like a, a musical piece. Um, you, you start off your, 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 like, dun, 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 dun. Well, that's the first 60. Down, 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 down. And then you go into that's the back stretch. And then when you get into the turn, you like, it's like you got to walk upstairs. So when you walk upstairs, you're aggressive walking upstairs. You don't walk, get aggressive. So you're running up a hill. When you turn the corner, you can see the other side, you like running down here. You don't run down here, you run fast. So in a concept, now when you come off the turn, you got to run to the finish line. And it's like, you got to be home before the sun down, sun goes down, else you're going to get a whooping. And you run to the finish line. Well, I just gave you <clears throat> some concepts that everybody can go and get. It is not about all this sophisticated stuff. It's in sales, KISS method, keep it simple, stupid. Mm -hmm. The simplest way, oxen raisin. The most simplest explanation is usually the correct one. 
And so you keep things simple. Now, if you get into all the technology and all the physiology and all the, uh, all the other stuff, you don't know what language that person is speaking. All the coaches back then were either, they were teachers or farmers, um, people who worked from the earth. Since then, we've become a little more astute in everything. And there are uh, coaches who are coaching. They didn't perform at the level. I have an advantage. I perform at, at, at a certain level. Excuse me. So not only am I bringing the, the performance, I'm also having understand some of the pitfalls that came along with, with training, overtraining. Um, we will overtrain because we're, um, that's what we do. You have to have somebody to ring your butt back. You know, Michael Cherry, I have to keep my foot on him because if I don't, he will work till the sun comes up the next day. I said, man, did you get some sleep? Oh, I couldn't sleep. I guess not. Well, how about going to bed? <laughs> um, your, 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 your asset can become your liability. Your gift has to be managed. Uh, your, your perspective has to have balance. You, you, you can't be, but that balance is you, you, you're, you're feeding one side and you're nourishing the other side. Now, there's no technology that can do that to you when you go out and you see, how you feeling today, man? I'm looking at him. I'm all right. And I'm watching him walk off. I'm like, uh, come here for a minute. Did you get some sleep? Um, kind of, sort of. I said, so you didn't get any sleep. Um, <laughs> um, how's your family? You know, your mom, okay? Um, she's dealing with something. I said, okay, you want to talk about it? Um, no. Um, I said, okay, I'll tell you what. Let's warm up a little bit and see how you feel. You know, and you go through that. You'll get the workout out of them, but they want to know that, okay, coach got my back. Or somebody cares about what I'm going through. Because these young people now, they got, I mean, good, bad, or indifferent. This is important to them. So you have to help manage this. Good, better, or different, we had peer pressure. They had the same thing. I'm looking at from a lens of a 72-year-old. Um, they, don't, they don't have that advantage. So it's, I structured the practice and the other thing I do, I put more rest in my my training phases throughout the week. Mm. You know, we I came from no pain, no gain. Well, no pain, no gain, and oh, what a shame because you're gonna break it. You know, you got to put it in the shop and at least let it let it let it uh, get straightened back out. So I try to use a lot of common. No, I don't try. I use common sense um, to delineate the information. There's a lot of information now. So, you know, I, I belong to a, a lot of the sports science groups. <clears throat> I talk to um, physios. I know a lot of the equipment that they have. There's some wonderful things now that assist them in running fast but and recovering quick. But you still need a soul. You need a heart. You need a purpose so that you can enjoy what you're doing while you're going through this, this, this training. Because the key is 
when you finish, and I always, every day, one thing I do, and I go to them, at the end of the season, when I'm, it's all done, I'll take a walk and get by myself, and I'll say, okay, what did I learn? Every year, I'll do that. And um, when this COVID came about, I didn't have a track. Um, I learned how to train just like I did when I was uh, age group. We went to the park, we ran on the concrete. Um, we did stuff and, you know, Michael Cherry was a recipient of that. And I learned something as well. And it was, it was wonderful. Now it's time to now build on that. So my, my, my thing was to, to give them um, um, a system of running because you got to run, you can't run mindlessly in, um, uh, in the 400. You have to run mindfully. It, 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 you're a sprinter, but you also have a distance mentality. You got to know where you are on the track. It, so, and, and so you can replicate that. The more you are aware of your time and space, the more you can get in and create more space and less time. And then when you get to that point, you're running on the back stretch. I used to have fun. I used to watch, oh, okay, such and such is gone. All right, well, I'll, I'll get with them. And then, oh, okay, such so, okay. We get certain place, uh-oh, let, let, me, let me shift this gear and get over to the 300. Uh, either with them or in front of them. Now, because I know my training, now let's see, let's dance all the way home. Mm. And it got inspired. Didn't become frightened. I got inspired. Oh, this is nice. And and you tune into the crowd and then you hear the crowd and you just get bigger. And you, you, you just pull this adrenaline all through your body. And man, you just hit the tape. And we would run and we would give each other high fives and stuff. So I, I bring that experience to um, my, my training. And, and every day I'm, I got a, I make training fun. I had a, um, uh, a coach, didn't train with a watch. It was named Leo Davis. He, uh, uh, Don Corey and I trained this one year and <laughs> in Jamaican. And he would say like, yeah, man, you have to be quicker than quick. You have to strike out. Before the world delights, I'm like, Leo, what did you say? <laughs> but he would, he would be telling jokes all through. He would have me dying. But it was the, one of the few times that I actually enjoyed working out. I couldn't wait to get back the next day. Now, he didn't use a watch, so I didn't know. You got a lot of penalties if you didn't do things right. From a technical standpoint, you had to be on. So um, I said, well, let me let me... So I use that. I use my experience from football. I use my experience from um, the adverse things that I came. I use my, my, my teachings from my father. My, I use my experience from um, my, my, uh, my spiritual philosophy. I use my experiences uh, daily and I stay alert daily. I'm not, even when I'm driving to practice, I always like stay right where I am 
and it's a practice. So when I get to get to school, when I'm in the car, I'm in the car. I'm not at the school. And when you are, that's the moment of now, which is a whole nother philosophy. But you can create, you only create in your presence, the now. You can only run and understand how to run now. The more you become aware and you practice it, you actually can feel yourself move through your time and your space, as opposed to, oh, I don't know what happened, man, I just ran. And whenever I would hear somebody like that, say, oh yeah, even if they beat me, right? I'm like, well, oh, okay, I'm gonna get you, because I'm gonna pull up next to you and make you be in my space. But there's, there's, those are some of the things that you do, because if you just run mindlessly, you, 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 you are going to uh, be a recipient of the whim. You, you, you may win, you may not, but you never know how to duplicate it. So you're always going to the line with some kind of trepidation um, and reserve and not really like, okay, I got this. Mm. And you never, I never ran for time. I ran to win. <clears throat> time is fleeting. Um, you will get a time when you run fast, but you can run fast and lose. And then you, your time is meaningless. People don't realize that Larry James also broke 44 seconds, yep. but nobody really knows that, you know? Mm-hmm. So it was always, no, I'm going to run and I'm going to run to win. And when you run to win, you develop a philosophy of yourself, which carries over into the rest of your life. Mm. Very powerful, very powerful. And kind of um, going off that, I, I think of, um, you know, of course you, you coach Michael Cherry, but thinking of the progression of 400 as well, like now I, I see like the past, I don't know, 10, 12 or so years, um, the 400 kind of had a resurgence, you know, in the nineties, right? Michael Johnson was kind of the only one. And then after that, you know, Jeremy Warner. And then once you had like LaShawn Merritt, Karani James, of course now Wade Van Niekerk, there was kind of this huge resurgence of guys running sub 44 seconds. Yeah. Um, do you think some of the things that you're talking about, and so not only that, not only guys running sub 44, but then also the event has kind of shifted away from Amer- American dominance, right? You have Cranny James, Wade Van Eker, Steven Gardner. Do you think some of the things that you're talking about, a lot of people have taken, you know, taken heed to and been like, okay, we need to start applying this. And now that's showing up in some of the athletes in the 400 now. Exactly. I think um, we still have we still have the talent here. Yeah. I mean, a lot of our talent goes to football and NBA mm-hmm. and uh, baseball because you know they pay the bills. No, but it's the training. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. It is the training that's important. Um, it is the movement, the skills <clears throat> that you have. You can't be afraid to train. The 400 is about fitness. It's, that's, it's, when you run 100, it's about fitness as well, but a lot of it has, a lot of your skill is, 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 is innate. Because mm. uh, a lot of, and see, and what's happening now is the 400 runners are starting to be able to sprint. Yeah. But they're still not dominant uh, power sprinters. They still had that 400 in them. Um, Curly is the one that's being successful going up and down the gambit. He goes from one to two to four and back down. 
But the real key is when you have one that goes from the 60 to the 100 to the 200 to the 400 and can run that. You know, Carlos could do that. Oh, yeah. Has Carlos ever run the 400? Oh, yeah. When he was at East Texas State, he was a quarter miler. Uh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Tommy could run two, four. Yeah. He almost could run the eight. Um, and he could run the one, but he he, he really wasn't um, as explosive. Because, see, they didn't do weight training back in that day. Mm. If, if he had the same kind of stuff now, um, there would be a different tone about Usain Bolt. You know, and it is it, a lot of the athletes from the in the uh, mid '80s down really didn't have the sophistication of a lot of the stuff that was available to them. Um, but the ones now, it's just a matter of get, first of all getting with the right people. See, a lot of times uh, track and field because um, it is. Um, a sport that has a lot of uh, comradeship, training groups and so forth. A lot of people are afraid <clears throat> to leave the college atmosphere and get into a lot of Europeans and the Jamaicans and so will leave home. A lot of Jamaicans don't have to leave now because they have a system uh, in play. Um, but you're finding that uh, um, a lot of Europeans are starting to move around the planet. Um, to get uh, a, a different type of flavor. Uh, I, I coached Mary Jo Perec. She came from France over here, didn't speak English, you know? And so that was one of my better coaching because I had to learn a little French, but I had to understand her language. And the language was, it, 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 the language that we both developed was unspoken. And so, that helped me now when I'm coaching because I, I looked for ways to communicate. And now I'm coaching uh, uh, Marie uh, Jose Talou uh, from um, Ivory Coast. And I'm kind of like getting back to those grassroots of listening and paying attention and watching her and so forth. It's, 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 it's fascinating again, and 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 Michael, uh, we 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 have a we have our own little language, and so forth. And uh, we I coach hard, but I also I, we have fun. Um, I can coach Michael totally. I'm coaching Michael totally different than I did all the other quarter miles, um, but he can handle certain things, and I'm learning how to coach Ty Lu. Uh, because I only had her since, you know, basically January. So I'm just learning her. But for me to learn, and it's, it's here again, like they're teaching me how to, to communicate with them. One of the two other questions before I want to close out, and there's, you, you've been dropping so many gems. I, I love all the info you've been sharing. <laughs> um, so kind of thinking of the sprint groups, right? You're mentioning Talu and Cherry and, you know, you, you kind of have like a small group now, right? And before you've coached not only at UCLA, right? You had a large group there, um, but then even, so I'm a, I'm a little bit younger. I, I'm 32 years old. And I remember 
I think it was around the 2012 Olympics or maybe right before, but you got a plethora of athletes from Nike, like Richard Thompson and Walter Dix. And like, like they sent you a whole bunch of athletes. Ryan Bailey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like a whole bunch of athletes. I'm, I'm curious on two things. So one, do you prefer, like, did you prefer having so many athletes that were maybe super, super high quality, but it was maybe a whole bunch of athletes compared to now where you have like a select few. Um, and then also just curious on your perspective of, you know, like Nike sending you a plethora of athletes, you know, just cause they're Nike athletes, right? You're a Nike coach. Um, curious on your perspective on those. Um, you know, I've, I've had fun with both of them. Mm -hmm. um, it's challenging to have a mixture of, uh, of uh, different high energy people. Mm -hmm. um, and the main thing is, can you service them? Mm -hmm. And I always tell everybody when they start to put, uh, well, we won't bring this person. I can only coach how many lanes I have. Mm -hmm. And, and that's the problem you have when you when you get a big group. <clears throat> uh, you know, it's like a big family. Um, Somebody is going to be um, pissed off, and, and it's because everybody wants everybody wants to attention. Everybody wants to improve, and everybody wants to be loved. And and and, and that that that. Uh, um, that love comes from uh, how secure they are from the way they were raised. And when you, as a coach, when you understand that, then you're able to service them. And maybe not have to talk to them, but you got to go visit them. Um, I was reading um, uh, Alan Wells' uh, book called uh, oh, Wisdom uh of in from insecurity mm -hmm. uh, and you have to learn how to process your your, your yourself and understand when, when i when i see an athlete um I, I i don't necessarily see what they're doing i'm looking for the inside what is that mechanism that allows you to do what you do? And then I also watch what's your purpose every day. We have um, we have uh, you know workout uh, all stars, and then you have people who who are not. Um, Maurice Green was not a walk workout all star. You mm -hmm. gave him the practice. You look at him and like, what the? Are you serious? The man on game day. Yeah. He was the one I didn't have to mess with him. I didn't have to hold his hand. Mm. Um, there are some I had to hold their hands, you know, and it didn't mean that they weren't good. It's just that was their psyche. Mm -hmm. And they may not, <clears throat> they may not agree with it, but it was what I observed. Mm -hmm. So if you get if you got uh, eight lanes and you have eight totally different personalities, you got your work cut out for you. But if you have eight lanes and there's a kinship, which is what you have to do when you have a group, you got to have them buy in to the philosophy 
because now they're your competitors, but you also have to know how to manage them so they don't destroy each other in practice or start becoming a, 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 a spore um, to, to your, your training group. And, and, and that's, a, um, that's a task because nobody, there ain't a book written up by like that. <laughs> you know, nobody gave me some instructions. It's like, it's okay, it's like raising a family. I don't know if you have kids or not. Um, yeah, but no, it's like children. There ain't no book on that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know they have a lot of psychologists and something, but at the end of the day, when you go home and, 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 and they, they still go off and so forth, you can't, in three o'clock in the morning, you can't call them up because they sleep. <laughs> you, you, you're on the job training and you have, you have to use a lot of energy. Um, so I had, I was fit uh, <clears throat> because you have to, and then you, 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 you have to like, there's, and there's certain ones that are developing and you, you got to keep them in perspective on the development. So you, you got to constantly uh, review and even in the ones who, because all of them are always developing, even the ones that always look at someone. And I remember this, Otto and, and uh, what was it, 90, World Championship in 97. Um, we were uh, we were in Athens mm -hmm. and um, it was World Championships and uh, Maurice won the hundred yeah. and and Otto Otto didn't Otto had a bad day that day and uh, we were he was on the ground all the reporters around so I I went over to him I laid down on the ground with him I had these white shorts and one of having black tar on. <laughs> and, <laughs> And uh, I looked at him and said, how you doing? He said, man, I always do this when I get to the final. I said, no, this just happened today. This is not always. I said, you got a 200 to run. Forget this, this is gone. I said, but you see uh, your partner out there? He's walking around. He ain't never won nothing like this. He don't know what he do he's doing. Let's go stand in his light and bask in the sun. <laughs> uh, so I had to get him out, and then he wound up winning the two hundred, which was good. Yeah, just kind of going off that a little bit. Do you think that? What do you think of sprint crews? So, like back when you were at UCLA, right? You had you had your guys go to Santa Monica Track Club, right, and compete for them, um, and you had like some other sprint crews. But now there aren't like these sprint groups. So obviously, you have groups that are coached together as sprinters, but not like, you know, for distance, you have like Bowerman Track Club and you have like all these like distance running crews, but you don't have the sprint crews like you had back in the day. Do you think that maybe sprint crews and sprint training groups should come back, you know, to the forefront um, nowadays? Oh, absolutely. Mm. That's why the Jamaicans are running roughshod around us. Mm. They got two, two crews over there. They compete against each other, but they have, uh, which, you have to um, you have to get people who are like mindedness <coughs> about uh, uh, what you're doing. They train because that's their country. Mm. You know, when and when they come to a relay, uh, they're all one. We have equal talent, but we are uh, disenfranchised a little bit, which is 
getting ready to stop because Mike Marsh is taking over as the uh, uh, relay coach. Yeah. So it's going to bring back that, 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 that philosophy. But I think the, the, the thing like out here in California, you have to have it been funded by somebody or something because it's, it's uh, um, a lot of people um, are, are afraid to come west because most of them are, are east. Yeah. And, and the ones that are all west here are football players. So they're going to wind up in the, in the NFL. So I, I have to like uh, kind of like figure out um, a different language that I'm going to talk and, 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 and put together. And, and this is all part of the ebb and flow of, uh, um, uh, of, of track and field. It comes and it goes. You know, we were on top. Now we had to climb back in. Uh, we were on top with the um, um, 400. Now, we, now we, we're climbing back in. We, um, and people are like, oh, no, 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 that every, everything is temporary. The only thing that's consistent is what's happening right now. That's consistency. And what you do, you build on that. Uh, I know Dennis has a good group. Yep. Um, uh, Boogie Johnson has a good group. Yep. And, uh, and, and now I'm going to start building mine. And so it's just a matter of, matter of time. Yeah. People are like, how long are you gonna coach? I said, I'm shopping until I drop. <laughs> I ain't going nowhere. Where else I'm gonna go? What else? What? I have so much fun. Excuse me. And one of the reasons is that being around young people, it, it keeps you humble, and it keeps you knowing that everything results to a better good. I didn't know what I was gonna. I knew I was gonna live this long. But I didn't know what it was going to be like. And I remember my father telling me about Buck Rogers, science fiction. Buck Rogers now science fact. We got space stations and stuff. You know, um, you have, um, uh, you know, Star Trek. And now we got Beam Me Up Scotty. <laughs> all, all the stuff that in their imagination. And I was that. The imagination is one of the things, the greatest gift that the human being has got mm. or has. And don't lose that. I tell them all, you think you can do something, then do it. If you can imagine it, go find somebody to help you make it become physical mm. because it's just a matter of time. And, and that's the difference between us and the animals. Now, we've got some shortcomings because you got to be careful not to destroy the planet while you while you're doing that. But for the most part, um, our imagination is what's going to have us here, and it's going to get us out of stuff. I'm not a doomsday advocate, you know. I'm not a doomsday. I listen to some of the science. Well, in ten thousand years, the sun's going to burn up. Well, I tell you what. Let me get to 10,000 years and then we can have a conversation in the meantime. <laughs> so true. That that's powerful. So last uh last question, and I just have like some kind of different questions, but if you could pick one favorite moment from your entire career, um, it could be either on or off the track, what would be that favorite moment you could pick? I have two. Okay. Um one when I got married, hmm. and the other is watching my daughter being born. 
And I was in the operating room because she had a C-section. <laughs> um, uh, someone asked me a question one time. If Who would I like to have the dinner with? And I said, my mom, my dad, and my older sister. Mm. They're both deceased. Mm. Um, I miss them. Um, and then uh, the, the there are a few others, um, but th those are the main things because that's life. Yeah. Uh, you know my uh, my family is important. Now I have a I didn't have a, a son, um, but my 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 daughter uh, had a, a a baby boy, and who's four, who's four going on five, and then I have a granddaughter. Yeah. So, um, um, you know, I'm 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 blessed uh, to be able to come from the imagination of where I was to where I am now, and of course, I'm going further with the imagination of what what I'm going. But I have to take care of what right now in order to get forward. <laughs> Absolutely. Nice. That, that's powerful. It's very, very powerful. Those are, those are some like intense moments. And yeah, I think like being able to think of those moments and, you know, have them resonate with you throughout your entire life is, is very powerful. Um, so just three other questions I want to ask and to kind of close out a little bit different. Um, but if you had the chance to, I guess, either compete or coach, um, you know, let's say in the upcoming world championships or Olympics, um, and let's say you're in your prime, you're young, you're healthy, you're able to move, no, no injuries, no issues, but you cannot work or compete or coach your primary event. So no sprints, no hundred to 400. What event would you choose to compete in um, or to coach? So I can't use the hurdles either, huh? Oh yes, no, no hurdles. hurdles, yes. You got no, hurdles the, no hurdles, we're no, not doing just that. just cut out everything. <laughs> I mean, have you have you done like you haven't done like the pole vault? I, I don't know. Have you? Long jumped. I've coached the pole vault. Okay, so let let's say <laughs> we, we got to split this. See, you, I know I've got an event. Let's say compete first. So if you can compete in one event, um, what would it be? And not you know none of the sprints. Uh, fifteen hundred. Okay, why why the fifteen? That's interesting. The fifteen is on the outer edge of. Um, uh, speed endurance because it has a speed endurance component. Mm. I say I've coached the eight, yeah. um, but I've never coached the uh, the 1500. And I have a, I kind of got a, a feel for the 1500. Mm. Um, I ran cross country. So I, I understand, have a little bit of understanding on, 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 on the training yeah. and, and the feeling of, of, of the training. Um, but to be able to run a good 1500, you have to be a, a great eight, have a good four, um, but also have a 3000. Mm. So you gotta go over and above, and which is one of my philosophies. You gotta be able to understand to go over your event, to go under your event, to get your event where it is. Mm. Do, you, do you think, cause a lot of like, you know, we mentioned Fred Curley, right? Uh, and even like Michael Norman, right? They're they're dropping down to the two four, but you barely ever see four hundred meter runners, at least now, going up to the eight hundred. Do you think more four hundred meter runners should do that? 
No, um, I, because see, there are sprinters who can run the four. Mm -hmm. um, you have two, four, eight guys uh, that can run, run, run the eight. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have uh, four, eight, and 15 that eventually evolved to the 3,000. Yeah. So it depends on, on your, um, now they have leg speed um, and, and they're gifted. They have, a, uh, they have that, that full gambit, um, but, this, the, but still the guys that are beating them are not as fast as them. Mm -hmm. So it depends on, but here again, that 400 is a different bird. Mm -hmm. um, you just can't run that and just be running it. Uh, Van Nika was a, a unique, uh, see, he was born up in altitude, so he had to develop a lot of uh, aerobic capacity and so forth. So, um, most unfortunately, he got hurt. He hasn't gotten on his rhythm yet. Mm -hmm. uh, I wish him well. Mm Cherry -hmm. uh, ran 800 in high school, mm -hmm. but he also sprinted and he did his mother stuff. So. He has uh, he has a he has a range from the two to four to, uh, and the eight. Mm -hmm. I told him he's going to run one forty three before he uh, retires. <laughs> I threatened him this year, but we ran out of ran out of time. <laughs> <laughs> if he if he wins like the gold medal or something, you got to throw him in the eight maybe next year, a couple years. Oh no, he's gonna run. Yeah, he's gonna run the eight. <laughs> oh yeah, he's gonna run the eight. <laughs> <laughs> Nice, nice. And just a last on that, what do you think you could have done in a 1500 if you were, again, in your prime, you know injuries, what do you think you could have run? Um, let's see, I ran a mile when I was in high school, mm -hmm. like uh, 425. Okay, okay. So I I go to the mile. I, 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 I could, if I got fit back then when I was running, I, I could run under I, I felt that I could run under four minutes. Oh, nice, nice. You know what, it's put it this way. In my mind, there are milestones that I would have um, and running under four minutes would, would have been one of them. Yeah, yeah. Now, whether I had gotten it or not, I would have been training to do that. Yeah, that is very true. You probably, you know, you weren't training for it, right? So very likely if you were training for it, you probably could have gone under. Good point. Well, I didn't train. It's funny. I didn't train for the sprints, but I, I ran 20 point, uh, 20 57, Wow. And I ran uh, nine three for 100, 100 yards. Wow. Nine four nine three. Yeah. Wow. So, but I, I didn't really train for it. I just had the speed. But I long jumped 24 5 when I was in high school. Mm. So I'm very elastic. Um, you know, I had, I was very explosive. Um, so I, I, do, I actually developed everything as I got older yeah. from a robot standpoint uh, all the way around. Because I used to go out on five-mile runs during my fall workout. Mm -hmm. And then I would go in the weight room and lift. Um, I wasn't afraid of work. Was, was not what I was afraid of. Yeah. Right. yeah if I had to run a, a – I could run 32.5 in a, in a 300. I could run 20 flat in practice. I could run um, uh, what fourteen eight on a one hundred and fifty, but I also could go out and I could run. I, I remember one workout I had. I ran three eight hundreds. I ran two minutes one fifty nine two minutes with a four hundred walk recovery. Wow! So you know I I could have I could have um, uh, turned into be 
um, if I had to, my mind would have been, okay, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to have to pray four minutes. Now, whether or not they came out, that's a different story. <laughs> but I always tell people, like I was telling, um, I was talking to Munster Court, I said, you guys should be running 42.5. Mm. They said, man, you crazy. I said, well, the, the half mile should be running 138. And they laugh at me. I said, oh, oh, what? If you go into a party, you got to know the address. You get ready. Your practices, you, you're getting ready. You, you're getting ready. You don't get ready and dress up ugly to go out. You don't you don't get go buy a rat trap or and think you're gonna go with the Academy Awards. You know, you don't go find holes in a tux to go to a ball or or or, or the tongue to flip flap on your shoes. No, you go there. Now, whether you make it there or not, that's a different story, but you're gonna prepare to do it. So prepare to do it, and who knows what'll happen. Dreams always come true. Nice, I love that. Last two questions. Um, and you've, so you've been all over the world to probably every corner of the world, but if you could pick a favorite place that you've ever been to, where would you say that was? Monaco. Oh yeah. Monaco, yeah. <laughs> and it's one, um, the south of France uh, and Nice is it's just wonderful. Mm -hmm. I, I, I love I love the, the the water, the sea, the beaches. Um, and when I go to to uh, Monaco, I stay uh, right around the uh, Stade Louis, and it's right it's in France, mm -hmm. across the street um, uh, is uh, Monaco. So you are, and people are non-pretentious. And, and I just enjoy it, and partly because when we were run, when we were in Europe, um, <clears throat> everybody um, is all on you, you know, and so forth. But when you're in, uh, in, uh, in, in Monaco, it's just so nice and comfortable. I mean, I, I, I like the warm weather. It's, it's nice and humid. Um, the, being pretentious as far as I, I like, I like being in a room where people are smarter than me. They got more money than me. They are, uh, uh, they got more than everything. <clears throat> but it, it, I like getting in that vibe, more spiritual than, than I. I don't mind being the person that 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 does not have all of the tools because that's how you learn. You learn by being around people who who are who are greater than you, but they're not better than you and and a lot of them have uh be around people who, who have who have a lot of money but who are um who are sound in their, in their philosophy um it's, it's great being around people who are not sound in their philosophy whether they broke or poor or whatever it's not great to to to, to but you know, when you are comfortable in your skin you could be anywhere mm. and be comfortable. Yeah. Like I was on that bench when I decided I'm not going to be on that bench anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Always going back. That, that's, that's dope. And I love that experience, right? That's something you always think back to 
you know, that, that impactful experience and that translates you know, throughout your entire life after all these years. Well, that's, that's why I don't, um, when you see homeless people and so forth, I don't cast aspersions on it because I was one step away from that. Yeah. yeah. But my mentality would not let me, mm. you know, but I, I was having a pity party that day and I looked over and I'm like, oh no, you know, <clears throat> this, and, and I think I threw that jacket away. <laughs> 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 someone, someone, someone lucky picked up that jacket and, and they yeah, got but it. it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. And so just last question, um, in terms of music, is there any genre of music or maybe favorite artist that is like your go-to person? Um, I used to listen to Herbie Hancock speak like a child. Mm. Um, I watched him when he played classical music and so forth. Um, uh, Hubert Laws, The Laws Family, they're nice. Uh, Morning Star is a great album. Mm. Um, Chick Career, um, Miles Davis, um, you, uh, who else? Uh, uh, Blackbirds, Donald mm. Um I can go on and on and on and on. But I, I, I listen to jazz and, um, and, and I like it and love it. Thelonious Monk, um, all, all of those guys back there and played the uh, West Montgomery who played uh, uh, left-handed, but, but it was a right-handed uh, guitar. So he just played it upside down. Um, I, I, I used to be in the classes and watch people don't read music and play. Mm -hmm. And always to sit down at a piano and look at it and start playing it. I'm like, come on, I can't do that. <laughs> you know, the, those, those things, um, um, and see, in music, music is mathematical. Um, you know, you got um, you got three, four, uh, eight, sixteen, thirty-two, and, and all those are different different uh, uh, beats and so forth in it. And, and when you are, are running, uh, you got one, two, three, boom, one, two, three, boom, one, two, three. On the fourth one, you make a move. Um, so it's it's. I could hold a rhythm because I, I could count in between while I'm moving. Mm. And you see dancers do that. Uh, they move, but they're moving into the rhythm of the notes and so forth. So when you, when you learn um, to play something, you do it, you scale it, you do it, you do it until it's, it's part of your soul. And then you let it come out. You, you know, you, you're not, a lot of times you're not even looking at the sheet anymore because you're looking at the conductor, because the conductor depends on who it is, will slow it down, pick it up, move it across, and so forth. So, that's, that's, so you can't really be stuck to the page. It's like an actor, the actor can't, you don't, you're not gonna bring your, to a performance, you're not bringing the script to the performance, because the performance is in you. So it's a, but that's that, that's that art form. And everybody tries to, the, so if you want to try to control the society as they have done and try, but it don't work, you destroy all the art. You make them not become artists. So now you got people who will become clones. But art is the other half of the whole. You can't have, you can't. It's uh, our father who art in heaven. Hallowed be our name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done 
as in heaven. So you, you look at art in heaven. Mm. Oh. So as natural as it can be. Yeah. So don't try to get rid of it, embrace it. Embrace everybody it. has rhythm and everybody has art in them. Mm. And it's like math. Everybody has math. Everybody knows how to measure something in and out, inside, outside. And it all comes together when you have, the, when you finally, it comes, when both hemispheres of your brain is rolling, oh man, that's, that's time doesn't exist in there as, as it does when you're outside it. Mm. Powerful, powerful. This is, um, I love you, you've been bringing everything back to like that soul, right? The soul of, you know, everything that you've been speaking about, whether it was course track and field and coaching and, you know, on the track, even the experiences you had growing up and, you know, even now diving in um, to these kind of ideas with that soul really is kind of that, that common theme. And I love it. I love it. Um, yeah. I mean, John Smith, I can't even, I can't even, you know, begin to explain. There's been so many things that you, so many gems you've dropped, so much knowledge you've dropped. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm only 32 years old. I feel like you've probably forgotten more about the sport and more about life than I've ever even learned. So I can, I appreciate everything that you've, you know, you've given the chance to speak about today. Um, and yeah, we really appreciated it. Really appreciated it. Man, it's my pleasure. I appreciate you reaching out to me. Absolutely. And I follow your stuff. And uh, <laughs> yeah, you're doing a good job. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Yeah, I definitely, I'm a, I'm a historian and I love to, and I'm a historian. I, <laughs> I, I love to, to learn about, you know, the past in our sport and thinking about, even though I'm, you know, relatively young, I still love the, you know, connecting it to the present. So having you be able to speak is, is a great pleasure. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Absolutely.